You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. And I invite you to take a seat this morning, and uh, as we begin, I just want to take a minute to pray. Uh, we pray before every service, but uh, sometimes there's uh, something that's happened that causes us to pray a little differently. And as you've been watching the news, you've seen what's happened in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. And uh, that should be a heaviness to your heart. Uh, we not, might not agree with uh, what Muslims believe, but we agree that um, God ordained life and life is to be cherished and murder is not a part of God's plan. Amen. And so we do grieve with those that grieve, and I can't imagine the grief that some of those people are sharing right now. If someone were to walk in here and do the same thing here, what, what horrible tragedy and, and evil that is. And so we do want to pray. And we do want to pray for those that are, are grieving that they would even turn to the true God in this time. And we pray that for the churches in New Zealand, that they would be able to shine the light of Jesus in this, in this very dark time. And so would you unite your hearts with me as we pray? Uh, I pray that your heart's not so like, mm, whatever, it happened over there, not here, and oh, well, they're, not that they don't believe the same way we do. If, if your heart's there, it's just not in a good spot. I believe Jesus' heart is grieving over all that's happened, and so we ought to grieve uh, with the people in New Zealand. So let's grieve together. And, and it's even pray lament, uh, lament prayer. Lament prayers are in the Bible on purpose, and they are there for our mutual edification as well. And lament prayers simply just pour our hearts out to God and say we don't understand. And so let's pray. Father, we do uh, come to you as God of the universe. And God, we do know that you are sovereign over all. Father, we know that you are good. And we know that you have a perfect plan in this world. And yet things happen in this world, God, that we just do not understand. And they're so contrary to your nature. And, and we wonder how anything good can come out of some of these tragedies. Something like uh, the thing that just happened in, in New Zealand over the last weekend, Lord, the devastation of a gunman murdering innocent people. God, we know that you are God of the good times and also God of the harshest of times. And God, we ask simply that you be God in not just our lives, but in the lives of our, our, our Christian brothers and sisters in New Zealand as they you know, seek to understand how to reach around this community and, and love them with the love of Christ and even point uh, this community to Christ. And, and God, we even pray that you'd be uh, around the community of, of the, the Muslim community that's been affected by this. And God, we pray that in the midst of this tragedy that, that people would turn to you, the one true God. That somehow out of this dark time, Father, people would still see that you are glorious and that there is one Lord, one Savior over all. It's, it's God himself. It's Jesus Christ. God, we really don't even know what to pray in these times. So we pray that you will be uh, ever-present in this whole circumstance. God, I pray that you'd allow your people here in uh, St. Catharines and Harvest Niagara, God, would you allow our hearts to never get so disconnected from other people that we can walk through some of these things and see it on the news and go on our day and not let it affect us. God, you did ordain life and you cherish life and you clearly said in your word in the Old Testament, do not murder in the New Testament. Don't even hate your brother. And so, Lord, would you even teach us what those words mean even now in our church, in our congregation. Would you help us truly be the light and the love of Christ in our community? And Lord, as we even study your word today, 
such an interesting reality that we're talking about loving our neighbors as ourselves. God, would you just teach us this in a real way? Would you teach us what it is to display Christ, what it is to be a disciple of Christ? And God, we're here today because we want to be disciples of Christ. We, we want to interact with you. We want you to interact with us. God, we want to experience you. We want to know you so loud and so clear in our lives that, that the truth of Jesus overflows from our lips to our actions. And yet, God, at the same time, we realize that we are powerless to do anything of any eternal good apart from you. So God, as, even, as we, even as I preach today, even as we open up your word today, would your Holy Spirit attach, uh, Holy Spirit, would you attach yourself to all that's said and all that's done here? Would you open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus in a greater way? Would you open our hearts to not just want to sing about Jesus, that's amazing, but to also proclaim Jesus with the very way we live our lives? Would you change us today, God, from one degree of glory to another? For your name's sake, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And turn with me in your Bibles this morning. Uh, we're going to start at Romans chapter 13. We're going to do some jumping around again. Uh, Romans chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love to uh, have our ushers get one into your hand. This is God's very written word to us. Um, so put your hand up if you don't have a Bible. Our ushers will get you a copy of God's word. Romans chapter 13 is where we're going to start. Uh, but get your thumbs ready. Sword drills again. Remember sword drills when you were kids? We're doing that this morning. So get your thumbs ready. We're going we're gonna to go. We've been talking about for the last uh, couple of weeks this little mini-series called I Follow Jesus us, really helping you understand what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. These three words, I follow Jesus, have come to mean so many different things to so many different people. We want you to know the truth of what it means to truly follow Jesus. Uh, for some people, I follow Jesus means that after an emotional church service sometime in their life, they've uh, said a prayer because their heart's removed, and that's all there is to it. They've said a prayer, and now I'm done. Uh, for, for others, I follow Jesus might mean that you come to church, and this is what it means to follow Jesus. You I just come to church, and I carry my big black book, and I put the bumper sticker on my car so everybody knows that I follow Jesus, uh, even to others. Others might think that following Jesus is just to be more po- aim to be more positive than negative, more um, more positive than negative, and others then seem to equate this with, "Well, I observe the right certain holidays, a certain tradition, so I am truly a follower of Jesus." And while some of those things might be true in this whole thing, there's something deeper than than those realities of following Jesus. Following Jesus is simply this: I have turned to Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. I now have a new hero in life. It's the Savior of the world who masquerades as a Jewish carpenter. This is what it truly means to follow Jesus. My whole life now revolves around one person. It's not me, it's Jesus Christ. I delight in Jesus, as we talked a few weeks ago. I devote myself to Jesus through personal disciplines and getting in his word and even fellowshipping in community. And and out out of our delight and out of our devotion springs one thing. It is displaying Jesus Christ with our lives. I had a prop here. I don't know. There it is right there. Left it behind. Out of delighting and out of devoting our lives to Jesus Christ, here's what happens. Our lives begin to display Christ. And so this is a picture of a perfect cup. And this is sort of like a picture of Jesus Christ. Perfect. As perfect as a cup can be. And this is our lives as, as sinners. Kind of all scrunched up and messed up and, and broken. And yet... As you realize that your life revolves around Jesus, you see the glory of Jesus. You're like, I can't help but delight in you, Jesus. And the more you delight in Jesus, the more you want to be devoted to Jesus and and give your whole life to him. And here's what happens. The more that Christ's life lives in you, the more Christ's life lives in you, here's what happens. Your life then slowly becomes morphed to his life. And you start to display Christ on the inside and on the outside. If you look at this cup with Christ's life in you, it's still the scars and the 
bends and the twists of a broken sinner like you and I, but yet look at this, it's looking a whole lot more like the image of Christ with Christ in you, amen? And so this is the true reality of what we're trying to get at with this whole series. It's a delight, it's a devotion, but they all spring together. As you delight, as you devote, you begin to display Jesus Christ in your life on the inside and the outside. Here's the truth that you have to know today. It's impossible for your life to be in Jesus and not have your inner reality reflected by your outer actions. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to say, oh, it's just all on the inside. Just have it on the inside. It's going to ultimately be displayed on the outside. We used to express this third part of being a disciple as a, a, a W, a work. And we used to work for Christ. And you know, you got to work for Christ. You got to get hard at it. You got to sweat for Christ. And, and, and got to work hard. Partly true, yes, you have to work hard, but it's, it's more than this, this desire to somehow earn something. It's, it's, more of a, it's more of a delight to serve Christ. It's this whole work thing, it's like, i got to go to work, now i got to serve Christ. And yet, yet, that's not serving Christ at all. Serving Christ is more of a, like, get this, I, I, I know Jesus, and, and, and the more I see him, the, the more his life is growing in me. And I get to, get this, I get to, I want to display Jesus Christ in everything that I think, do, and say. It's a whole paradigm shift from the outward action to the inner reality bursting forth out of you. And so we're going to take a few minutes here just to describe what it means to be uh, really working for Christ, though, but in a way that displays Christ. Your whole goal now is to be holy and set apart for Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I am now holy, and I am set apart that the world may see Jesus through my life. You're a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. You know those Little Caesar pizza guys out in the street corner that have Little Caesars? Like you're a walking billboard for Jesus Christ, and we're just going to go through two of these this morning under the display part. It's going to be a two-part sermon. How do I display Christ? First, by loving freely. Second, by serving sacrificially, and they come hand in hand. The first reality I want you to write in your notes this morning is this. My life reveals the reality of Jesus when I, very simply, two words, they're on the screen, when I love freely. My life truly displays Jesus Christ, not in the amount of theology that I know or how good I am at articulating my faith. My life truly displays Jesus Christ when I love freely. It's actually one of our pillars. It's our fifth pillar that we're pursuing genuine and loving relationships. It's a major way I reveal Christ. Our, our pillar verse is this, uh, John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give to you, Jesus says, this is Jesus' words, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, think about that reality, just as Jesus loved us, that's a whole different kind of love than we know in this world, as I have loved you, so you are also to love one another, get this, by this, by this love, all people will know that you are my, what is the word, disciples, if you have love for one another. The more we delight, the more we devote, here's what Jesus does. He changes our inner disposition to get away from the I-thinking way of living. The I-thinking way of living. Who thinks like that? I think like that. Natural default setting, right, in all of us. That's why we like uh, Apple so much, because they have iTunes and iPods and iPads and iCalendars, and everything starts with I. I love that. But Jesus changes that disposition into a different letter. It's the letter U. It's a, it's a we, it's a together thing. It's a, it's a I love because Christ has loved me. This is a natural result of Christ in you. Listen to what Romans 13 says, starting at verse 8. This is the verse I had you look up, the chapter I had you look up. Romans 13, verse 8. 
Follow along with me. It says this, owe no, one to any, no, owe no one anything except to love each other. Get this, we all have debts, but owe no one to anything. Don't owe anyone to anything except owe them love. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you can love, you've accomplished everything that God wanted you to accomplish in all the Old Testament commandments. For the commandments this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment that God has given us are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. If we can truly love, if we can truly love with the love of Christ, everything else falls in place. We don't have to worry about like, oh, what command do I have to keep today? You're going to keep it just because you're loving people the way that Christ loved you. It's actually not that difficult of a concept, yet it's so difficult, isn't it? Here's the point. God loves you. And he doesn't just expect you to love him, but he instills within us a love for others that's ours to display to the world as a reflection of his love for us. So God loves us. He longs for us to love him. But part of loving him is loving others. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, oh, brother, here we go, another sermon on love. Right? We don't need this one, pastor. We already know this one. Really, not another sermon on love? Think about this. It's the second greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment. You don't need that reminder a little more often than you like to admit. I need it all, all the time. Natural default setting. Me. God needs to remind me, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at this one here in Romans 13. Here's why we need another sermon on this. It says, oh, no one anything except for love for each other. I think we could use this sermon every three weeks, to be honest. Or I kind of preach this one to myself every couple days. When you're going through life and someone ticks you off, what never happens to you, it happens to me. Cut you off on the highway. Love them, love them, love them. Not with the horn, not with the horn. Right? Even at home. We love them, but do we love them? Sometimes it's not seen, is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is an easy concept when everyone's doing well, when all is good in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, you know? Easy to love when, you know, they look like us and they think like us and they act like us and, and same theology as us. It's easy to love, right? Most of the time. But what happens when uh, our neighbors from another kind of hood, not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but from another kind of hood, and they don't think like us, and they don't look like us. And they don't act like us. And maybe then they tick us off. And maybe they don't love us. They actually hate us. Then how easy is it to love? Well, that's only for the super Christians. It's only for the super Christians. No, 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 no. Here's what it says. And then you'll know that you're my disciples if you what? It's not for the super Christians. It's for every single disciple. Well, that's the pastor, that's the pastor verse. No, that's not just the pastor verse. But you're supposed to do that, Pastor. Yeah, I am, and so are you. Amen. This is where it gets real. Well, you know, you're thinking, well, it says the neighbor, neighbor, neighbor all the time. Well, who's my neighbor? That's a good question. There was a lawyer in Luke chapter 10, 29, and you know, one of the smart, smart guys, he tried to trip Jesus up on this question. Jesus is telling him to love. He's like, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? You know, smart lawyer, pretty dumb guy. He's trying to trip up Jesus. Can you imagine a disciple? <laughs> he's trying to fool Jesus. What an idiot. <laughs> Truly, right? 
All right, well then, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. He never answers straight out, right? He just makes you think. Well, let me tell you a story. There's this Jewish guy who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, not just like a little walk to Avondale. It's like a 25-kilometer trek in the desert. So he's going, and, and he gets mugged and beaten and, and beaten to a pulp and robbed and left naked to, to lay on the side of the road and bleed. And so uh, who comes along first? A priest. Well, this is a good noble man, right? It's like the pastor of the day, the guy who leads the church, and he's the, he's the guy with the ribbon around his neck, you know, and he's like the holy guy carrying his word. And what does he do? He crosses like, oh, there's this guy sitting on the side of the road. Well, you know what? Go to the other side. Already, I'm sure the Jewish people were like, well, where is this story going? Next comes a Levite, and he's of the, the, the a chosen tribe of God to lead God's people in religious things. The, 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 the priest of priests, of the got blood, priest blood even in him. And what does he do? He comes across, you think he's going to scoop him up, right? The Levite, like, whoosh. if I don't look, maybe you won't see me. And then along comes a guy, and they're like, by this time, the Jews are probably like, what, where is this story really going? Like, he's slamming our religious people. Then the Samaritan comes along, and the Samaritans are kind of like, they're kind of like half-breeds, and Jews and Samaritans hated each other. they kind of like Israel and Palestine today. They just didn't get along. And the Samaritan comes along, and they're, they're thinking, oh, well, this is going to be very good, where he like goes and kicks him or something. The Samaritan comes along, no, what, what does he do? He stops, and he actually, he actually takes oil and, and anoints the guy and tries to clean up his wounds. He cares for him. He puts him on top of his donkey and takes him to the, the place, to an inn, a place where he can get some help, and, and he cares for him. And then he leaves the innkeeper money, and he says, take care of this guy. When I come back through, I will pay whatever cost you have. I don't know how Jesus said it, but I kind of think he had their attention by this point, just like I think he has ours. It's a story we learned as a Sunday school kid, and then we kind of forget about it. Well, that's a nice little story, but we forget that Jesus wants us to apply to our hearts. And then he gets to the point, and he's like this. Jesus, I think he was whispering, I think, to be honest. I think he, I think he had the lawyer feeling pretty dumb at this point. <laughs> this is how you love your neighbor. This is how the true love of Jesus Christ is displayed through you and in you. Anybody can love the Mr. Rogers neighborhood type of people. The world does that. They don't need Jesus to do that. But, but to truly love the, the Jesus way when they're not from the same neighborhood you are, now that's a different story. But this is how Jesus calls us to love. This is actually the, the love that truly displays to the world that we are different. Not different isn't kind of weird. We're different. Maybe we are a little weird. That's okay too. We're different. Because we've been loved, and so we love like Jesus. And this is the, the type of love that Jesus ha has called us uh, to live. This is real love. Let me help understand that, that Good Samaritan story. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple things here that real love is not. Real love is displayed when it is not. I know in sermon in a seminary they teach you, never, never preach sermons in the negative. But you know what? The negative just in the negative context. But yet this seems to be so, we always preach it in the positive, And this is, what, this is how you love. This is how you love. Well, let me tell you how you don't love. Break all the preaching rules because it just sort of hit my, hit my heart. I was reading the Good Samaritan story. Can I break some preaching rules today? Yeah. This is how you're not supposed to love. In other words, the opposite of this. Here's, here's the good Samaritan. Here's his kind of love. It, it was not convenient for him. Think about this. If you're on your journey, the last thing you want to do if you're going from A to B is stop and help somebody who's going to need a little more help than flipping them a quarter. It's not convenient. It messed up his whole schedule, messed up his whole day. We don't know how long it took him, but, but I can guarantee you he didn't get to his destination at the ETA on his GPS. It's not convenient. Here's what else it is. It's not culturally acceptable. I already made mention of this. Jews and Samaritans, they just, like oil and water, they just don't go together. Fellow Samaritans wouldn't be carrying this guy around going like, woohoo, he did such a good thing. They'd be like, what were you thinking? 
Jews would be like, you touched who? Unacceptable. It's culturally unacceptable. Real love is not counted. We like to take selfies when we do good things, right? Like, I just helped somebody selfie. Twitter that. Put it on Facebook. Real love's not counted. We don't see any, any account of this guy. All he did is pick him up, take him to the place, and on his way. He didn't like, hey, call the newspaper. I want to be in the newspaper. I want, to be, I want people to know that I did a, just did what he's supposed to do. Even when no one saw it. Here, true love is not cool. Even with religious people. Notice he uses the religious people that walk right by. But they're supposed to be the hero of the story. They're the ones we look up to. But you know what? If we truly love people the way Christ loves, wants us to love them, I think even the religious people would be like, ah, stooping to new lows. We don't associate with those types. Really? Get this. True love is really not comfortable. It's awkward. It's messy. It costs something. Even this guy's reputation for associating with the Jew. This whole love freely thing is so different than the Hallmark card that we've come to know as loving. You know, the, the Hallmark type card kind of love or the what's in it for me mentality kind of love of the world. And, and yet this is the kind of love that is truly displayed in us as we delight in Jesus. This, we don't have to strive for this love or try harder for this love. As we delight in Jesus Christ, as we devote ourselves to Jesus Christ, Jesus grows this love in us and transforms us into men and women who display this type of love. How does that work? Remember the cups? We are conformed to his image. How does that work? Because this is Jesus' image. The Samaritan story is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved us in the same way that the Samaritan loved the Jewish man. Think of Jesus' love for a minute with me. Jesus' love wasn't convenient. What do you got today, Jesus, on your calendar? No, not much. Great, why don't you go down and leave heaven, the palace of heaven, go to earth, live amongst flesh and blood, you know, the sinful type. Ooh, that's going to cramp my style. Jesus' love wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient for him. It wasn't like he had nothing to do that day. So he's like, well, I'm just going to take a stroll down to earth, live and die for them. It wasn't convenient. Jesus' love wasn't culturally, culturally acceptable. It was culturally unacceptable. Jesus came and the Jews thought he was coming for them. What did he do? He turned their whole culture upside down and said, I didn't just come for you. I came for the Gentiles too. What? No, no, we're the chosen people. Culturally unacceptable was Jesus' type of love. No, I came for the Gentiles. Anyone in here a Jew? Didn't think so. He came for us. Busted all the cultural norms of the day. Jesus' love really, really wasn't counted in the sense of, he often said to people, go and tell no one. It was between him and God. He was doing this not for public acclaim because he loved the Father and cared for us. Jesus' love wasn't cool with the religious either. Think of how much grief he took for what? He's, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors again. He's eating with those people again. The religious are always saying, Jesus, you can't, you can't really be the son of God. You're doing all the wrong things at all the right times. Don't have to tell you that Jesus' love wasn't comfortable. That's an understatement, hey? Wasn't getting messy with somebody else's blood. It was his own dripping from his forehead, oozing out of his palms of his hands and leaking out of his feet gushing out of his side after the spear was thrust in there. Think about that. I know we're supposed to love, but are you kidding me? It's so hard. 
Is it that hard when we see how much Jesus Christ truly loved us? Is it really that hard to love somebody else who's not like us, doesn't think like us, doesn't act like us? Really? This is how Christ displays his love among us. Look what it says in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Flip over there. We're going to stick in the New Testament for the most part. So Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. You display Christ's most clearly when you display his love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Because you're so deeply loved, imitate God and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. How do we do this? How do we love like this? The way that God loved us constantly and consistently in truth and grace. We're not talking about compromising your convictions here. That's not what we're talking about. It's not tolerance, but it's also not shunning as some of us are so used to. Polar opposites, right? We either tolerate everything, that's not it, or we shun, that's not it, and seclude ourselves. Love is this, is accepting others for where they are at. That's what true love is. People are at different stages of this journey, and so what God asks us to do is love them. Some haven't even come to Christ yet. We love those people. Some are baby Christians who don't have it all figured out. They're just learning to spiritually walk, and they're falling all over all the time. Instead of like kicking them when they're down, you help them up, you love them. Some are really mature. Some are more mature than we are, and how do we interact with all these people? We love them. Happens, it's supposed to happen inside the church and outside the church. This is what's supposed to make our family here different than any other organization or club you can join is because we love each other. Not just when they walk the doors and they look and feel and have the same vibe we have, but when they walk through the doors and they're like, ah, what do we do with this person? You love them. Sometimes family love is the hardest type of love, isn't it? I don't know how your house operates, but in our house, it's not perfect. Let me put it that way. We get out in public, and everyone's got their, their mind and their manners for the most part, because I have kids, and we all have sinful nature. We're, we know people are watching, so we're out in public. We're usually pretty good. We look like a pretty good family. We get inside our house, oh, my goodness, sometimes you're like, wow, do we even love each other at all? You just have freedom to have a normal house now. Right? Sometimes like that in church, though. We, like, we come in here, we all have to say the right things. We, we go out of here, and man, we, we pick each other apart. We slam each other. And people around us are like, do they, do they love their brothers and sisters? Let me encourage you with this today as we seek to really display Christ. Start praying that God will help you love even the unlovable that are even in your spiritual family because there's unlovable people here, too. There's people that are hard to love in here, too. Your pastor might be one of them some days. What are we supposed to do? Judge each other? No, love each other. Let me encourage you with this, as I know this can be easily happen in church too. These little cliques happen in church, right? Well, well, we're this little group here and we have this background or we're this little group here because we like this study and we like this preacher. How about we like love people that don't even think like us inside the church? Oh, but this is the only way to think about these theological convictions and I love them, but they're wrong and they shouldn't be here. Really? You ever heard of that in church? It's a head-scratcher for me, to be honest. Let me encourage you with this today. How do you live this out? How, here's how you live it out. Find somebody that you've never talked to before that you might be really awkward going up to and just go up and have a conversation with them today after church and try and love them in the Lord. Even if they don't think like you or look like you or act like you. How about you try having somebody else over for lunch other than your um, little group of friends that you usually have? 
How about you try having a theological discussion with somebody who is actually the exact opposite of what you think on a certain topic that's not one of the majors? And try and learn from each other and grow from each other. Have iron sharpen iron. And How about instead of just saying you'll pray for somebody, why don't you meet that need? I often find that we say we'll pray for you and I'm not sure God wants us to pray for some of those things sometimes because he already told us clearly in his word, if you see someone in need, James, book of James, if you see someone in need, don't, don't wish them well and have, slap them on the back, send them on their way. Just meet the need. He gets a cop out sometimes. Well, I'll pray for you. People tell me that. I'm like, well, hopefully they do. Never know. 50-50. Truly love people inside the church. Family love. It's the best kind of love. And Sometimes God brings us into these situations because people aren't like us, and that's where we learn to be sanctified in love. It doesn't just happen inside the church, though it happens outside the church too. I think a lot of times, again, we get so caught up in church and our little Christian communities that we, we don't make margin in our lives to even get to know people that might be the unlikely friend that we might have one day. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Everyone on the inside circle was like, why is he eating with them? He should be eating with us. Jesus was like, I came to what? Seek and save the lost. I came for the sick, not the healthy. When was the last time you had someone that doesn't even know Christ and like you know, really rough around the edges in your house for a meal that's going to be awkward for everybody, but it's okay because you love them. Get to know your neighbors. They live next door and across the street and they're at the grocery store and the sporting events and God calls us to invest in unbelievers. It's dangerous. God calls us to invest in unbelievers. Won't have the same morals, don't expect them to. They don't know Jesus. Their tendencies might be completely opposite of ours. We we'll have to teach our kids after. That's not what we do, but they don't know Jesus. There should be no word of prejudice in our church or in any church. We shouldn't just be loving people that have the same skin color and social status and religious affiliation. I know this is getting a little bit uncomfortable, right? But this is how Christ's love is truly shown in us. So how do we love then atheists and abortion advocates and people with alternative lifestyles? How do we love them? Same way you love people in the church. Truth, grace, heart of Jesus. It's how the world sees truly Jesus in us. They remind you, it's not a try harder now, and I gotta go out here and try harder. It's, it starts with the delight, goes to devote, and this is just gonna ooze out of you. Again, it's a little uncomfortable for me too as I was preparing this sermon. It's good for us to hear. Who wants to display Jesus through your life this coming week? Who wants to display Jesus through your life this coming week? I figured most of you, yeah. Love like Jesus. Here's the second thing, second point today for our, from our notes. Again, you see it on the screen. I display Jesus uh, most clearly when I serve sacrificially. It's not just loving others, it's serving them sacrificially. Here's what Ephesians 2, chapter 10 says. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Short verse, packed with a lot of power. Listen to this. For we, if you're a Christian here, this is you. We are Christ's workmanship. He crafted us. He created us in Christ Jesus for what? 
good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we're created by God, but we're also created for God. We're created by God and we're created for God. I already know what some of you are thinking when you get to this, this whole serve sacrificially. We get to the, I heard the word in there, it's works, it's works, it's works. This whole legalistic, he's going to tell me to work and now he's going to tell me to work. And yet what does it say in the passage? It's actually a biblical term, work, isn't it? It's not legalistic to say we want to work for Christ, we want to serve Christ. It's actually a biblical term. It says we're created for good. Yes. Works that are good and outward manifestations of our inner faith. How do you know if you truly love Jesus? If you just say it every day but don't show it, you have to start to wonder, right? If I told my wife every day I love you but didn't show any, any other indication that I loved you, you'd be like, do you really love your wife? How do you show God you love him? How do you show Jesus you love him? Just deep down in my heart. It is. And deep down in your heart gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it overflows into a life that wants to serve Jesus Christ. True love is an action word. It's not passive. Got that love and feeling. If you have that love and feeling, you also have that desire to serve sacrificially the God who saved you. Again, this flows right out of delighting in Christ and devoting in Christ. The more you spend time with people, your mother told, this, told you this when you were a little kid, right? You're going to become those who you hang around with, son, daughter. Mom ever tell you that? Guess what? She was right. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more you spend time with Jesus, guess what? You become like him. And you, you take on his characteristics and you start to serve like Jesus served. How did Jesus serve? Sacrificially. The more you're with Jesus, the more you want to be like him. And most of us would say, well, I'm, what's the goal of being a Christian? Is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever and be sanctified into the image of Christ. Do you realize the image of Christ includes serving others? Well, I want to be in the image of Christ, but I don't want to serve anybody ever. Then that's not the image of Christ. Why did Jesus come in the first place? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came not to serve, but to be served. Remember when I was a kid, we used to be all ramped up about Michael Jordan. These commercials, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Remember those commercials? Some of you were like, yeah, no, a few younger. Basketball player, really good. We used to sing it all the time, bouncing our ball down the, down the, down the road. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. Christians, you know what we sing? Want to be, want to be, want to be like Jesus. Jesus served. Let me tell you a little bit about serving here in the last part of this message. I know some of you are already thinking, here it is, here it is. He's going to tell us that we're supposed to serve. I am. You know why? Because Jesus served. And because here's what serving is, as you look at serving biblically, again, it's a little bit of an oversight of what serving is biblically. Serving is this. Serving is greatness in God's eyes. Oh, I got all these plans to be so great for Christ. I got all these plans to be so great for Christ. And man, I'm going to make an impact on this world. You want to be great for Christ and make an impact on this world? Starts with one word, serving. Where are you getting that from, pastor? I don't believe you. Okay, then turn with me to Mark chapter 10. You're getting all worked up inside because this whole even serving topic is going to cramp your style. You can take it up with Jesus because here's what he says. Mark 10, 43 to 45. 
But whoever be great among you must be your servant. Whoever be great among you, this is the thing we all taught in school from a very young age. Now, you're the greatest, and you're going to be great, and you got the world at your fingertips. Be whatever you want to be. You're so awesome. You want to be great in God's eyes? Be a servant. Whoever be first among you should be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Think of this. Jesus Christ, if anyone ought to be served in this world, if anyone ought to be like, yes, Master, that'd be him, right? We should be serving him. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Want to be great in God's eyes? Start serving. Want to be great in God's eyes? Look for opportunities to invest your life in other people instead of yourself. Well, I'm going to memorize scripture and I'm going to be like the, the Bible trivia wizard of the world and that's what's going to make me great in God's eyes. That's great, but if you're memorizing scripture, it's not changing to a servant, something's wrong. Or I'm going to go from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to Bible study and that's going to make me the best, the greatest in the kingdom of God. It is if you take all the knowledge you're learning and the growth you're understanding about Jesus and it's translating into service for others. But I'm pretty good. I know all this theology and I can, like, I can defend my theological position before anybody. That makes me pretty great. Not if it's just to boost your own self-esteem and, and put yourself on a pedestal and you're not actually using it to serve others and help point them to Jesus. I actually did my first doctoral paper on this topic, what it is to be a biblical leader. You know what I discovered as I read scripture and studied for that paper? I discovered this, to, to lead from a biblical perspective, you're actually a servant, not the CEO. World says it's top down, right? If you're a leader, you're up here. Actually, God's biblical model flips it upside down so the paradigm's like leaders are here and everybody else is up here. Well, who'd want to be that kind of leader? Jesus. Anyone who has a heart after what God really calls us to? You want to be great in God's eyes? Why don't you uh, head for the back of the line instead of the front of the line? Why don't you head for the back of the bus instead of the front of the bus where your interaction with people will cause them to make much of Jesus instead of much of you? Serving is greatness. Here's what serving also is. It's adopting God's heart. Serving is also adopting Jesus' heart. Philippians chapter 2, we're told to have the same mind and heart as Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, first five verses. Have the same mind and heart of Jesus who, did nothing, who says we should do nothing, nothing selfish or nothing vain. Others first and consider others more significant than yourself. Looking to the interests of others. It's not some sort of moral obligation now that we have is like, oh, I gotta serve. Like, ah, oh, gonna serve. He keeps telling me to serve. I gotta serve. Like, you know, my mom used to twist me by the ear. It just works. Twist you by the ear and make you go wherever she wants you to go. Make your bed. I don't want to. Okay, I'll do it. That's not supposed to be the serving of God. God's like, I, I want you to serve, not for rewards we can even get. It's like my son's always barking. I'll take out the garbage if I have an extra hour Xbox. No, you're gonna take out the garbage, so I actually take out the garbage. All right, God, I'll serve as long as, as long as I can get my rewards in heaven, then I'll serve. Is that serving Jesus or is that serving me? We serve because of the heart of Jesus grows within us as we delight and as we devote. We now display. Serving Jesus is an, is an, an intentional thing. 
Adopting Jesus' heart must be an intentional thing. Luke 19, 10. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He had a servant mindset. It won't happen by itself. No one was ever walking down the street and stumbled and woke, got up and said, wow, I stumbled into service. Look at that. Wasn't planning on serving God today, but I tripped and fell and I woke up and here I am serving God. It's an intentional decision to serve. It's deliberate. Even Jesus, he accomplished much in this life. Three years, he lived on this earth. Only three years. Really, you have a whole book on three years? Yeah, a whole book on three years. Why? Because he was intentionally, he wasn't just wandering around the desert going like, what am I going to do today? Intentionally looking for places to serve. It's an intentional reality of the heart. Yes, we serve our husbands and wives. Yes, we serve our kids, but we also serve each other. As Jesus lived his life, I think it's a great example of how we need to live our lives. Uh, eyes wide open for the opportunities around him. Uh, ears listening to Jesus. Heart ready to respond. The, the, the service radar on alert. This is God's will for your life. What's God's will for my life? This is part of God's will for your life to serve. Well, I don't know what God's will is. And when I find out God's will, then maybe I'll serve. No, God's will is serving. As you serve, you'll see God's will. It's actually not super difficult except with our sinful, stubborn hearts. Do you know this, that intentional service is also a result of the fact that God has given you a special spiritual gift for you to use to serve him? When you became Christians, when you became Christians, he gave you the gift of salvation. He gave you another gift. You got two gifts when you were a Christian. Two gifts. Salvation's a gift in and of itself. He gave you another gift, a little one on the side. It's a spiritual gift to use within the church, to, to, to put towards the, the body of believers, to carry weekly kingdom responsibilities inside the church and to serve others outside the church. We all want a vibrant church, right? We all want to see God do great things and we keep getting asked, well, why are we not doing this ministry and this ministry and this ministry and this ministry? Guess what? We'll do them when everyone jumps in and, and has, plays a role. God's brought you to this church on purpose. There's no... Seat fillers in this church. He's brought you here. If you're here, and this is where God's called you to serve, it's so that we can be God's body together. I think our church should be doing this, and you know, we could do a lot of things if everyone just jumped in and used their gifts for the glory of God. There's gifts in front of me that I don't have that if I tried to do it, it'd be a train wreck. If you do it, it's going to be a joy to you and a delight to you, and we're going to see the whole body of Christ come alive as we all fulfill our calling. We're a spiritual body, which means everybody's needed. And God asks us to be intentional in serving. Here's another thing you don't have to go home and pray about. Well, should I serve or should I not serve? Should I use my knee or should I not use my knee this week? Hmm, let me think. What about the ligaments in my armpit? Should I use them this week or should I just give them a break this week? Whatever part you are, you're needed in the body of Christ. Here's another thing about service, intentional service. It's sacrificial. Put ourselves aside. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, I'm expending myself for Jesus. Jesus said this in Galatians 2.20. Uh, he tells us that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Sacrificed himself for us. I think when it comes even to serving, we have this... this Broken mentality on what it is to serve. We get uh, contributing uh, mixed up from sacrificing. 
And we think because we contribute to something that we're actually fully sacrificing for something, but it's not really the case. If I were to put on a, a bacon and eggs breakfast for you, the pig has to sacrifice, correct? The chicken's going to give us a nice contribution. Which is the greater deal? If I have a chicken here and a pig here and say, hey, I want to have a bacon and egg breakfast, boys, let's go. You know, the chicken's going to be like, "Bah, sure. <laughs> the pig's going to oink, oink, oink all the way away, right? It's a bigger deal. Sometimes we get the two mixed up. Well, I'm serving, but it's when it's convenient, when it's not a busy week, when I feel like it, when it's something I feel like doing. If I have time, in other words, you're contributing, that's good, it's a good start. But serving is completely different than that when you serve sacrificially. When you come and say, you know what, I don't really feel like doing it, but I, it needs to be done, and I will be the one to jump in and do it. It's not really my wheelhouse, but you know what, I'm okay with that, because as long as I get to serve the Lord, and it's been a busy week, but you know what, God's worth it. I think I can serve another hour this week. It's only an hour. I can serve another hour this week because of, because of the fact that I love Jesus. Real service is, even when it cramps my style, when I don't feel like it, when I decide I'm going to put the whole before the part, which is me, and I'm even going to refuse to add excuses. I get it. There's times where we can need to step back from serving. I'm good with that too. But if we only serve when it's convenient, here's what you're really saying. I truly serve me. Under the guise of serving God, true service is Sacrifice, that's what makes it true service. True service is sacrifice, that's what makes it true service. Here's the next one, it's faithfully. When I truly serve, it's faithfully, it's commitment. It's going after it. I'm committed. We tend to commit these days and look for ways out. It's not what I thought it was going to be, shoot. How do I get out of my TELUS contract? Ah, uh, marriage is supposed to be so wonderful. It's not. Uh, get the papers, please. I want out. Well, I was committed as long as it was good. Commitment is thick and thin. It's, again, looking at Jesus' life, who's so faithful to us. When does quitting serve as a Christian? It quits the day we meet Jesus. And I don't think heaven's even going to be sitting on a cloud. I think we're going to be even serving in heaven with joy and delight. We serve until we see Jesus. Here's the last one on the notes, number three. Here's what serving is. Serving is revealing of my love for Jesus. It shows that I get the master's heart. It shows that I understand truly who Jesus is and what he has done. Service isn't something I do. It's a lifestyle I adopt as I become like my Savior. So many people in this church show me what true service is, and um, both inside and outside the church. This is where it happens. True service happens inside and outside the church, and I'm looking at a group of servants. The only reason that we're doing so much as a church is because you guys serve and you love the Lord and are willing to sacrifice and serve. I am too. I'm not just calling you to sacrifice and serve. I want to sacrifice and serve too. My wife is in Harvest Kids right now, sacrificing and serving. Um, not because she wanted another morning with kids after being busy all week with our kids. 
but because we want to serve you guys and, and we want to, to help you raise your kids. And It's not all glamour serving. But we want to sacrifice together. I see you doing that. I just wanted you to know that we're doing it also so you don't think we're calling you to something that we're not called to do. Um, wasn't planning on sharing this, but this weekend, just so you know, uh, wedding Friday, funeral yesterday morning, funeral yesterday afternoon, and preaching today. Like, we're not just telling you to sacrifice because it's good for the church and we want to see you do something we're not willing to do. We're willing to do it. And it's something we do together. Can you imagine if everyone served together? We have a wonderful group of servers. We have people that come 7 a.m. to set up every week. I've highlighted them many times. We have a hospitality crew that set up food and behind the, the auditorium here for those that are staying all morning to serve uh, you and your kids. And um, We also have a group of people up in Harvest Kids right now serving kids. And I want to encourage you that those people up there serving, here's the Harvest Kids captains. They're on the screen here. I just want to highlight them for a second. There they are. Uh, George and Janice, Ryan and Maria, uh, Sarah Etherington and the McGugans. And, and they're serving uh, one Sunday a month, just serving our kids. And they all have kids and jobs. And some Sundays they don't want to come because it would be easier to just to sit in here like the rest of you. And uh, all kinds of excuses. But they serve. They serve. The, I think they're the, some of the greatest servants in our church. I just want to highlight one of those couples this morning because they have been with us for seven and a half years doing the same job. And that takes a, that's a marathon right there. Serving in Harvest Kids sometimes is like herding stray cats. I went up there once when I wasn't preaching, and I don't know if I'll ever go up again. Maybe just have to stick my nose in the door. Ryan and Maria have been here ever since the beginning, seven and a half years. That's the, the couple on your top right, and, and they've been serving in Harvest Kids for all that time. Uh, once, one year, they missed both Christmas services and Easter services because they were serving in Harvest Kids because we didn't have anyone else to serve. In fact, we're trying to train up more Harvest Kids workers, and Ryan's question was, does this mean we can't serve anymore? We're like, no way. And guess how much they got paid for all of that? Guess how much we paid them generously out of our pockets? Zero dollars. We're doubling their salary this year because of their good hard work. <laughs> Did you even know Ryan and Maria before I just brought them up? Some of you have Harvest Kids know them. Some of you never heard of them. I know that's good with them too because they're faithfully serving the Lord. And their reward is going to be great in heaven. And they're teaching me even what it means to serve God's people. So I want to encourage you with this. If you're here, you call this church your home. There's a place for you to serve. And God doesn't want you to think about whether you should serve. That's why we gave you those cards the last three weeks. God wants you to serve. He wants you to put your spiritual gift to use so that you might have fullness of joy and even the fellowship of being a part of what God is doing. But it's not just inside the church we serve. We also do the same mentality outside the church. So many people in our communities need to be served and not driven by, but served and not so we can become citizen of the year and get our name on a plaque somewhere so we can say, well, look at me, I did some good deeds this week. That's not it. It's because we serve, because it's a lifestyle, because the heart of Jesus would be to serve others. We can't serve everybody, I get it. But there's some people that God puts right in our path, right in our heart to make it clear, plainly obvious. These are the people you're supposed to serve. Are you looking for opportunities to serve? And display Jesus Christ? Are you fitting in with the rest of the world and looking for opportunities for people to serve you? And asking why you're not being served and why you don't have the position and why you don't, why you don't, why you don't, it doesn't matter. 
Because the bottom line is when we get to heaven, it's going to be awesome. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a great big party there. And, and there's going to be one person that gets all the praise and all the glory. It's going to be Jesus Christ. He's going to be in the middle. Guess where the rest of us are going to be? We're going to be around him on the outside. Uh, it doesn't matter what position you played in the church, what role you served. We're going to be around him on the outside of the circle, holding hands, worshiping him. It's like a Super Bowl party. You ever watch a Super Bowl party in the Super Bowl this year? After the game's over, everyone's on the field. All the winning teams on the field. The guys who taped ankles are on the field celebrating. What do they deserve to be on the field for? Because they dealt with smelly feet all season and taped them up. They're all celebrating. They all get a ring. It doesn't matter what role you play. At that moment, none of, no one on the sidelines cares what role they play. They're just happy to be at the party, happy to have the confetti coming down, happy to touch the Super Bowl. And in heaven, we're just going to be happy to be there. We're going to be happy to be bowing to Jesus, just touching his cloak and seeing his face and hearing his voice. That's what it's all about. Why do we serve? Not because the pastor told you to, not because it's a moral obligation, because we've been delighting and devoting in Jesus, and we are overflowing with a desire just to serve the God that saved us. So I will serve because he served me. I will get messy because, man, he got messed up for me, and I will commit because he gave his everything to me. Unusual, unnatural, both these things. But it's what truly it, it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not saying a prayer. It's not just bringing a big book. It's not observing the right traditions or holding the right theology. It is loving others freely and serving Jesus sacrificially. Do you have your serve on today? Do you have your love on today? We've put these things down here so that we can go through and even evaluate our own hearts. Worship, walk, work was so vague. Delight. Are you worship? Are you personally adoring Jesus? Are you gathering in worship? That's what true disciple is. Are you devoting? Are you abiding in Christ with your daily devotions every day and, and in the joy and love of the Lord? Are you fellowshipping in community? Are you loving freely? Are you serving sacrificially? I want to be, want to be, want to be like Jesus. You know the reality of whether you really mean that by what is coming out of you throughout the week. Let me pray. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to come here to worship you today and to learn what it is to truly be a follower of Jesus. God, I know that, that most people in this room here are here because that's what we want. God, that's what we long for, full life, abundant life. We want to see Jesus and know Jesus and be like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be true followers, that you would even help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you'd empower us to this type of living. God, we can't do this on our own. I can't delight in you. I can't devote to you. I can't display you in love or service without you doing a deep work in me God and empowering me to do this so God we again surrender ourselves to you again today as a church as, as, a, as a body but also as individuals say God would you would you be so pleased to hear our prayers would you be so pleased to work deeply in us would you be so pleased to move us God after the heart of Jesus that I follow Jesus wouldn't just be a sermon series it wouldn't just be a couple words on my lips It'd be the true actuality of my life. Because we love you. Only because you first loved us. Amen.